So this morning, you can turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It's Resurrection Sunday, and it's at this time that many who don't go to church all year long come to church, so welcome if you're here for that reason. We're, we're happy to have you. Uh, and we invite you back for next week and the week after that. Um, but it's a time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he was a promised Jewish Messiah, but the nation of Israel did not receive him as such. But many did. And so, it's today that we put a highlight on this. I think we should do it every day, but today is special. In verse 1 of Matthew 28, we read, Now after the Sabbath, that would be Saturday, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow." The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, and behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, as we come forward today to talk about the most incredible thing that's ever happened on this earth. Since the fall, men have died, women and children, and it's all because of sin. And yet Jesus Christ first died on the cross and cried out, it is finished, meaning the payment for sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, showing the Father's approval of that payment for sin and God's power over death and over sin. And so we look forward to your word today that it might open our hearts Help us to see things fresh and new, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has lost a lot of its impact on our jaded modern world. It's a world so consumed with self, many consider themselves too intelligent to, or scientifically informed to actually believe such a tale, a myth of bodily resurrection There are scholars who have taken a simple and true biblical account and turned the resurrection of Jesus Christ into a mere 
spiritual phenomenon. They promote the idea that the spiritual resurrection is something that we can glean a moral lesson from. I've heard a lot of that this week. (laughs) It's representative of spring. And somehow or other, they take the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they turn it around to a man-focused type of, oh, winter has been rough and now it's spring and that's resurrection. What a lark. And what a tragedy They promote the spiritual resurrection as (laughs) anything but what it actually was and what actually took place in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. Now, that's, that's too much for them to believe. Yet devout Christians the world over continue to celebrate this day as a resurrection Sunday. It's an ongoing witness of God's message to a watching world. Now, it's almost been drowned out by the Easter bunny and colored eggs. And I'm not against colored eggs. I'm not even against those chocolate Easter bunnies. But I am for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I don't want us to lose sight of that fact. This is a message that says Jesus literally died on a cross for the sins of mankind and that his death was received by God his Father as a satisfactory payment for sins and therefore allows him to provide the full forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes in him and based upon the death of his dear son. You see, I guess the first problem is sin. Uh, That, too, has fallen on hard times in our culture. As you can see by our culture, there's sin rampant everywhere, but it's not called sin. It's celebrated. And if you don't celebrate the sin that is so prevalent among us, you're chided and shamed. No, sin, the Scripture teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean, come short of the glory of God? There was a phrase in one of the songs that we sang it, it talked about ruined men, ruined men, ruined people. And what we see in the world today all around us, especially in America and in the West, uh, the perversions that are taking place all around us is ruined people. They have sinned and are sinning, and therefore they are not glorifying their creator God who made them in his image. They're acting in a way that is outside of his image and outside of the way that they were created to be. And so that is not reflecting his glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They don't meet that glory of God. But God rectified that. And he did it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was a literal and historical, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So all over the world today, preachers will preach on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to millions of people who truly believe this event to have taken place in real time, and as such is real history. It's not a moralistic story that we can learn from. And in this day where we just came through incredible fear with a pandemic, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's special promise 
of our hope for immortality. It is the bedrock foundation of the Christian faith. We make no apologies for believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it was a physical bodily resurrection from the dead. And Jesus Christ is evidence that his atoning work on the cross was received by the Father as both complete, it is finished, and acceptable. And therefore, the death and resurrection are related to one another as that of service and reward. Remember Friday evening we studied on Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of Isaiah, and read Isaiah 53. Well, his reward is seen in his resurrection. It could be seen as cause and effect. Jesus died and his death was sufficient to pay for sins. And in recognition of that fact, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians have affirmed this belief for millennia. Now, it's all but squeezed out by our secular world. Yet a prayer that was composed about 150 years after the events, called the Apostles' Creed, says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, was buried, and he descended to the dead. In some versions it says descended into hell, really means he was truly dead physically. And on the third day he rose again. That is an affirmation of Orthodox Christian faith. Now the apostles proclaim this message as the core of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that sin can be forgiven and eternal life can be gained through trust in Jesus Christ. And they preached it throughout the then-known world, from Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And they carried the message of redemption, as it's established in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to the entire known world. And it's the same message that we must continue to share with others, in every generation, and it's almost squeezed out in ours, but we must continue to hold the torch forward because it is the hope of eternal life for the nations. Most theology books will give you at least three reasons that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount and very, very important. It's supremely important because it is the validation of the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. It's a fairy tale. And you are still in your sins. The second reason is it's a guarantee of the Father's acceptance of the Son. In Romans 4, 25, we read, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, our sins, was then raised because of our justification. We experience justification where God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in us who have believed in Christ because of the resurrection, it says. And thirdly, it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. 
David spoke of Messiah's resurrection in Psalm 16.10. And he said these words, quoting Messiah, well before the birth of Jesus Christ, quote, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's how both Peter in Acts and Paul, also in Acts, reason that that psalm is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their sermons. They explained it to the Jews who had actually perpetuated the crucifixion of the Messiah. And they said, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David... See, it was in the Psalms, so some might say, well, David's just talking about something that took place at his time. But they they taught, and they said, for David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, and so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Talking about Messiah's death, but then his resurrection on the third day. This is what they preached after Jesus ascended back to heaven, and they began to spread the message, the good news, to many Jews who did believe, but the nation as a whole rejected Christ. Another portion says, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promises made by the fathers, Old Testament, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children that he raised Jesus. As it's also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, quote, I will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So what the Peter and and Paul were doing is they were expositing the scripture. They were explaining what that psalm meant by comparing it to what Jesus Christ actually accomplished. That's why we believe in expository preaching. Today, I'm expositing the scriptures. I'm explaining them. I'm opening them up to you and explaining what the scriptures' meaning are. I could sit up here all day and tell you stories, interesting stories. I've lived for a while, got a lot of experiences. (laughs) It doesn't cut any mustard. I don't even know what that phrase means. (laughs) Come back. It just wouldn't matter, right? Because they're just my experiences. And and if I'm not reflecting what God's word says and explaining it, it's worthless. Paul goes on to reason that David died and was buried and underwent decay, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So he says, David, don't think it was David he was talking about because he died and his body underwent decay but not so Christ. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So they really didn't make a lot of difference between the, the 
crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's a full package. It goes together. 2 Timothy 2.8 says it so succinctly. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That was Paul's advice to his young son in the faith. They're words of encouragement to Timothy. They were penned by Paul, who is now once again locked away in Roman prison. And Paul thought it important to remind Timothy of the resurrection of Jesus to encourage him. And if ever we needed encouragement, we need it today, do we not? And so I bring you today a message of encouragement. I'd like each of you, in the remainder of our time, to be encouraged right where you are today with the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about three aspects, three points that are in your bulletin. It was indeed a physical resurrection. I'm just going to address that a little bit. It wasn't spiritual. It wasn't a moral story for us to glean from. It was an actual resurrection that took place. Number two, it is the hope of the resurrection that brings us to exhilarating life. I'll never forget when uh, I first trusted Christ many, many, many years ago when I was 19 years old. I had pretty much made a shipwreck in my life in 19 years. <laughs> Um, and I thank God that he reached down and saved me. But I, I just remember the renewing process and thinking, this is amazing. I, I truly can confess to you as a personal testimony, I really don't believe that I began to live until I trusted Christ. I mean, all that stuff before was just worthless. Nothing there at all. So the hope the resurrection brings to our lives is exhilarating. And then thirdly, the promise of everlasting life, immortality. Now, we just came through the pandemic where I'd say a full 80% of Americans, if not more, were living in day-to-day -day fear, desperate fear. I mean, some are still driving around with a mask on in their cars, folks. This is incredible fear that is gripping the souls of people. Talk about ruined people, right? God never created us to live in that kind of fear. And I mean, when it first came out, right, I was wiping down all my railings in my house, and I wouldn't let Mary go out of the house. She had just had an operation, and I'm just thinking, man, what is this thing? But then as time went on, I realized it's a sickness. It's real. People died. But honestly, the panic that I saw around us was not gripping our souls. I remember one of our elders said, our days are numbered. God knows when we're going to die. <laughs> that was his answer to the whole fear thing. Ah, you know, if God wants to take me, hallelujah. <laughs> it's the next step in the journey, and it never ends. I love it. But you know, the promise of everlasting life it doesn't grip people. Why is that? If, if I said, I've got the cure to cancer, I have discovered the cure to cancer, and you're suffering from cancer, wouldn't you say, I want that? I don't care how much it costs. I'll get rid of, I'll sell my house, I'll sell my car, whatever it takes. I need that cure to cancer. Why? Because we're afraid of death. But see, somehow or other, it doesn't translate in people's minds and hearts that 
all of us must die, but after that, the judgment, according to Hebrews. And if we don't have a renewed relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we will be judged to spend eternity without God in a place called the lake of fire. This is all written in the Bible. It's very plain, but somehow or other it doesn't translate. But if I told you I had a cure for cancer, man, you'd be beating down my door. It's just crazy. So let's just look at these three points real quickly. A physical, not spiritual resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.35, someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Now, what I mean is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was physical resurrection of Jesus' physical body and should not be spiritualized or allegorized or somehow or other made into a moral lesson. Jesus' resurrection was a resurrection of his body. There was an empty tomb with grave clothes folded up. His body was missing. First Mary witnessed that the body was gone, and then Peter and John witnessed that the body was not in the tomb. Later that day, Jesus appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of my favorite stories. It's in Luke 24. And after they recognized it was Jesus raised from the dead, they returned to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they had seen the risen Christ, only to find out that it was being reported that the Lord had really risen and appeared to Simon. Now, I know people, and I don't doubt that there was a little bit of jealousy there. Those two came with a phenomenal story. They had just seen the risen Christ. And it's like old news, man. They were all talking about it because Simon had seen him. It's like, well, what's up with him? We've got the message. we got the story. But we don't read any. I'm speculating that because human nature, it's the way we are. <laughs> Competing with one another, right? Who will be first in the kingdom? So the two that met Jesus on the road to Emmaus began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them by the breaking of the bread. And even as they were telling his disciples their story, he appeared in their midst. And again, why? Maybe just to quell everything. Peace be with you. Why did he say that? Everybody else, when he first appeared, he said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Here he says, peace be with you. It's like, stop. Stop. There's bigger fish to fry here. There's much more important things for you to understand. And they continued to tremble at what was before their eyes. And Jesus said to them, Come on, touch me and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And as they were still incredulous, Jesus asked them, Okay, do you have anything to eat here? Do you have anything? How mundane, how normal right? Give me some food to eat, and I'll show you I am a body. I'm physical. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. He had a physical body. Now, it was a glorified one, but it was a physical body just the same. And might I just remind you that he presently today, right now, as we sit here, is seated at the right hand of the Father in that glorified physical body. And when he comes back again, like next week, right, it's really close, people. 
when he comes back again, we will see him as he is. He will be in that physical body. And he'll call all those who have believed in him up into the sky, into a cloud, and we'll be taken away. It's called the rapture. Those that have believed in him and died, they will be resurrected and receive their glorified bodies. Wow. That's the next step, you know, in the prophetic calendar. And Jesus repeated the same things with Thomas a week later in order to help Thomas process that his resurrection was the resurrection of his physical body. He told Thomas, reach here, Thomas, your finger. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas believed, didn't he? Jesus was seen by his immediate disciples at least three times in the first two weeks of his resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. Paul's apology or or defense of Jesus' resurrection focused on his body. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 tells us all about it. I'm not going to read it. Um, You can look at it yourself. First, this is the message that they preached, the gospel. That's verse 3 of chapter 15. Second, the message contained the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. When you share the gospel with people, don't just stop at the cross. Many people do. Many people. I sat on many uh, ordination councils at the Master's Seminary when I worked at uh, Grace Community Church, and many of those seminary-trained men forgot the resurrection when they would share the gospel. And I delighted to tell them that they had forgotten the resurrection. Does it have any bearing at all? And, of course, chagrined, but that was all part of their training, I I imagine. And I'll bet you anything, they never forgot to include the resurrection again in a gospel presentation. Thirdly, Jesus was seen by Peter, the twelve, and over 500 brethren at once, many who were still alive at that time. You could go ask them about it, and they would tell you, we saw it. The resurrection body of the believer will be physical. Okay, This is getting into what, what this implies for us as believers today. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, Paul continues his defense of the resurrection as a physical bodily resurrection when he describes the kind of resurrection body believers will have. In 1535, you can go there if you want to, 1535 it says, what kind of body do they come with in this resurrection thing? 1539, well, there are differing kinds of bodies or of flesh. There's the flesh of men, There's the flesh of beasts, there's the flesh of birds, and of fish. Now, I'm in Genesis, and we're going back to that next week in our Foundations uh, series, and it talks about in the way God created, he created these creatures after their kind, after their kind. This is kind of a comment on that. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and there is the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the stars all differ from one another. Verse 42 of chapter 15 talks about the physical body is sown as a perishable body, but it's raised an imperishable body. 
Real important to say body there, okay? Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. It's a glorified body, just like Christ's. That is not to say that we become little Christs. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm saying we have a glorified body in the future, just like Jesus Christ's glorified body. In verse 49, it says, Just as we have been born in the image and have borne the image of the earthly, we will, future, also bear the image of the heavenly. And just let me explain this to you. When it says we'll bear the image of the heavenly, Paul compared it to a natural body and a spiritual body. He's not meaning a resurrection body is not corporal. Rather, he's explaining that it is a body suited to the spiritual existence in heaven, and therefore it is glorified. So when you see that spiritual body, don't think it's some kind of ghost-like type of body. It's just like Jesus's. It'll be a glorious body, not afflicted with corruption or dishonor or weakness or limitations of the physical, as it will transcend those barriers of the natural world and be a glorious body. Secondly, here's the hope of resurrection. The disciples derived great hope. You remember, they are huddled, scared to death. And then Jesus appeared to them, and then pretty soon you see them going to their martyrdom. They were willing to die. <laughs> now, if, if we really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we really believe that, would we be fearful of death? No. Absolutely not. Maybe like I used to tell the Taliabo people that used to laugh at me because I was afraid to fly in those small planes. They, they chided me after they were believers. They said, ah, you shouldn't be afraid to die. I said, I am not afraid to die. They said, well, you don't like to fly in those planes. I said, I am afraid from here to here. When we go down, that's the fear factor right there. I'm not afraid. I don't think that, you know, I'm going to die and nothing's going to happen. I believe that I have eternal life. I, I just don't want that problem. <laughs> I feel the same way about illness, you know. I, I, I would love to just be raptured, to be honest with you. And if not that, dying in my sleep would be lovely too. Thank you. But I, I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Well, you see... After they had received the news that they had seen Jesus, he is risen, he's alive. First, the women. They went from fear, phobos, to great joy, megas chara. Grand, mega, delight or gladness. You see that in Mark 16, 8. It shows that the women were trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Fear turned to ecstatic joy. In fact, the word used is ecstasis. Ecstasis, it sounds almost like ecstasy. They were amazed. Secondly, the two on the road to Emmaus, when they finally realized that the risen Christ was walking with them, they said, we're not our hearts burning within us as he is expositing the scriptures to us. Thirdly, he showed himself, Jesus showed himself to the disciples in a closed upper room as risen from the dead, and we read, they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. They were overwhelmed. 
That's why he said, do you have any food here? I mean, they were staggered by this. All this to say, people, that this is not some moralistic story. This actually took place. Think for a moment of a beloved one that's maybe passed. Maybe a father or a mother or a good friend or an uncle or something. And they're dead and you went to their funeral. Can you imagine what you would feel like if you saw them tomorrow in your house, in your room? I mean, initially you'd be fearful. I would. Incredulous, right? But then as it gripped hold of me that this is for real. This person is actually, it's, he's come back to life. I would be ecstatic. Well, how much more so the Lord, all the miracles he performed and everything, and he died, and then he rose again from the dead. Timothy derived great hope from the resurrection. Paul said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And this hope is for everyone facing trouble in this life. Timothy was struggling with the fact that his mentor and father in the faith was in a Roman prison. And Paul reminded him of the resurrection to encourage his heart. If you're a child of God, let the resurrection of Jesus Christ fill your heart with blessed hope. Now, for the last point, the promise of immortality or everlasting life. This just amazes me that people will listen to a presentation of the gospel as you explain the gospel to them, and some will walk away saying, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm not, that's good for you. That, that's the most polite way. <laughs> oh, I'm happy for you, which is basically, I don't want any of it. Are you kidding me? How strong is the delusion and the deception of sin that a person can hear about eternal life and they reject it? But they do. They do. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Now, those of you that know Mary and I a little bit know that my wife loves her garden, and um, she's already just, the snow's just about off it, and she's reminding me I've got to get out there and get those leaves off the garden, and, and thus begins our summer, right? Well, last year it was very interesting because I saw, just as the snow got off of it, everything was sprouting up. It's kind of like what's going to happen this week. And I saw a little yellow daffodil. The only one. And um, the garden's filled with them, and I knew that from previous years. But only one made it, and that was the first fruit. That was an illustration of a first fruit. Because I knew, like, in, within a week, the entire garden would be yellow with daffodils. But this little one made it, first one up, just after the snow melted. And that just assured me that the rest would be coming, too. As it got warmer, how wonderful, how wonderful that Jesus Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the first to rise from the dead. But different from Lazarus, Lazarus died again. What a drag that is, right? (laughs) 
The scripture doesn't say anything about that, but I can just imagine Mary and Martha. Oh, not again. <laughs> I mean, these are real people, people. We, we, we divorce ourselves from the scripture so much, we don't think what it must have really been like. And all those people that rose when the curtain was broken and torn at Christ's resurrection, it said the graves opened and people came out and walked around Jerusalem. People identified their loved ones that rose from the... But they died again, not Jesus Christ. He did not die again. Romans 6, 8 through 9 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. The Bible just tells us very clearly. Death no longer is master over him. He defeated death. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, it says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades, or the grave. I have the keys of death and the grave. Now, I want to know that person. If he's the first and the last, and he has everlasting life, I want to know that I can enjoy that as well. To have the keys is, in essence, to have the authority over what the keys lock or unlock. Jesus told John there in Revelation, who was lying at his feet like a dead man, don't be afraid. I've got the keys. You can have eternal life. Now, many people today are living with, it's an unspoken fear, but it's just gnawing at them. And I think it's probably a hangover from the pandemic. And of course, you know, all the, all the fear mongers are telling us another one's coming. Every once in a while you see, you know, news flashes of something happening in Africa and so forth. You know what? Get over it. We're all going to die. Okay? I'm sorry. It's the truth. But we don't have to spend eternity separate from God. We can have hope. And that's what this message is about today. So many people sense that there's no real way to protect themselves against the things that could happen, and they don't want to die. And so that stress is like gripping their hearts. Well, I'm here today to tell you that you don't need to live in that kind of fear. The Apostle Paul described some as living in this world right now presently without God and without hope. That's the picture of those that have not trusted Christ for their eternal salvation. They're living in the world without God and without hope. And the reason is, typically, is because they want to do what they want to do and they don't want any restrictions put on their lives and they're afraid that if they believed in God, there'd be personal accountability because they would have to account to someone greater than them. The sad thing is, is they're so deceived in their sin, they don't realize they're going to have to account to him anyways. Why not account to him as a friend rather than an enemy of God? Death's a powerful enemy. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, 
okay, humanity, he himself, Jesus, likewise also took on the same flesh and blood, he became a man, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that's Satan, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The fear of death can make you do incredible things. Can I just say to anyone listening to my voice today, whether you're listening online or here, whether you're young, a young person, or an older person, you don't need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. It's no mistake that you're listening to me right now, right at this time, at this moment in time, and you don't need to be afraid because I personally know someone who has the cure. I know him personally. I really, truly do. And I am not afraid of death. Seriously. He possesses a cure to every disease, the pain, the misery they cause. And most importantly, he has a cure for death. And you can have a personal relationship with him too and enjoy his all-encompassing protection right now, right here today. You can mark it, that was the day that I settled things with my creator, God. You can just tell God right now, right here in your own heart, just repeat after me in your own heart, God, I am afraid. I'm afraid of all the news I'm hearing in the world. I'm afraid of dying, to be honest. And I know that I'm a sinner and I'm not lived the way that I should have lived and done the things that I should have done and I haven't honored you. Please forgive me. I want to trust in you for the forgiveness of those sins right now. And I want to follow you if you'll help me. Thank you that Jesus died in my place and paid for my sins so that I might have eternal life. Amen. You can pray that. You can say it in your own words. The thing is, you come to grips with the fact that you're separate from your creator, and you should be afraid of death. You really should be. Because death is not the end. Now, I know there are many listening to the sermon that haven't made that commitment, but today is a day that you rejoice to celebrate in the resurrection, or you could, in your full confidence that you too will share in the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot of people here at Beacon of Hope that already know this. And yet, somehow, maybe through the pandemic, maybe through just being taken up with all the distractions in the world, you've lost your joy. It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength, believers. Come back. Come back and look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and let it fill your heart with hope. And then go out and share it with somebody. Everybody's going to be eating ham and different good things today, often with a lot of people that don't know this truth. And they're living in fear even though they're not articulating it and they're not talking about it. Hit them right where it hurts and tell them, what a great service we had today. Oh, my gosh. Beacon of Hope, name of the church, right off of 35. It's filled with hope. It's a beacon of hope. And I am so filled with hope today. I know you think I'm nuts. That's okay. Do you have hope? Are you afraid of death? I'm not. <laughs> there you go. That'll get the conversation going. And don't let them say, that's good for you. Say, what about you? 
That's how you answer that. When they say, that's good for you, say, how about you? Are you good with dying? If you were to die right now, what would happen? And tell me you don't think about that? Well, let me close by saying, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your loving kindness, your goodness. And thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that we can have a personal relationship with you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.